this alien space baby, which was about the size of a four-story building, really thought the Enterprise was its mother. Oh, you're pulling an old man's leg. <laughs> no, really. It was suckling power directly from the ship's fusion reactors. So Dr. Brahms and I changed the power frequency from 21 centimeters to 0 0.02 centimeters. Oh, you soured the milk. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, enjoy these times, Geordie. You're the chief engineer of a starship. And it's a time of your life that'll never come again. When it's gone, it's gone. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge... This is Tyler Orton, beaming in onto the Enterprise 80 years later. And we're here this week to talk about ranking the engineers. There's a lot of engineers in Star Trek, but we're going to tackle who's the best, who's the worst, and who's in between. Yeah, I, I think we can agree we're sticking to the main characters, you know, as much as I like Rom from, say, Deep Space Nine, I, I, it's going to get too troublesome if we have like all these like peripheral engineers, you know, like say a Barkley or what have you included on this list. Yeah, or like a checkoff from Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Kim, do we include the Kelvinverse version of Scotty? Is that is that something that would be fun to do? Like, um, he is a main character, right? He is a main character, and we did separate um, New Kirk versus Shatner Kirk when we did our ranking of the captains. So there is precedent for it. And also, uh, Jimmy Doohan and Simon Pegg are <laughs> a little bit of a different taste. Uh, just listen to their respective accents as well. <laughs> Flawless. Flawless Scottish I, I, accents. <laughs> I like how the Brit does a much worse Scottish accent than the Canadian actor does. Yeah, I mean, you always hear that like Jimmy Doohan was just incredible at doing all sorts of accents. And I think there's a reason he was such a uh, veteran of like the animation world and could just do like a billion voices. Yeah. So, uh, Cam, I, I don't know, like, do you have specific parameters, you know, that you are, you know, ranking these folks on? Is, is it like based on how much you like them, how competent you think they are, uh, whether they had amazing character arcs or just, you know, who do you like seeing on screen the most whenever they popped up? I had to go with um, whose professionalism, capability and just skills come across the best on their given show or movie because if i'm to like base it on characters well suddenly like for example like miles o'brien dominates because i love him so much on ds9 but like is he better than jordy laforge for that reason like i i don't know if that's necessarily true so i tried to break it down to like who would i want as the engineer on my ship okay yeah, that's fair enough i for me i, I i'm gonna be honest i did let you know my personal feelings about these engineers kind of guide my decision making here because it's like uh, part of that is leadership, you know, like uh, part of it, you know, being a chief engineer is being a compelling leader. Mm -hmm. And if I like this character, I'm going to follow them and uh, hope to goodness gracious that they know what they're doing to get me out of a warp core breach as well. 
Yeah, well, I definitely took leadership into account. That actually informed a number of placements that may surprise people, actually. Okay. Well, uh, Cam, uh, we have kind of figured out the number where there might be some surprises for listeners. So we won't say the number that we're doing just yet. We'll we'll, uh, go back and forth, and we kind of have to decide. uh, You know what? Like, you pick one, I pick one, and if somebody really wants to, like, debate about it, then we kind of have to come to a consensus, and maybe there might be some uh, some switching around in the rankings, and then we'll let everybody know how these folks um, rank from top to bottom. I think that works perfectly. So, uh, do you want to start at number—well, I won't even say the number, but do you want to start with last place? Um. Okay. For me, um, you, you know, uh, this engineer's got a lot of gumption and a lot of spirit, but I don't know if Jankum Pog— <laughs> would be the one that I trust my life with just yet. Like, I think he's got a lot of, like, uh, raw talent that just needs a little bit more time in Starfleet, and the uh, chief engineer on the uh, Star Trek uh, series Prodigy, uh, yeah, yeah, I I, I think he could uh, do the trick, maybe give him 10 years more experience. Yeah, this would be kind of like naming um, the captain of the Valiant as like one of the best of captains. It's like Jankum is, I don't know, uh, Tellarite ages or anything, but like he's very young. He's not molded yet. Like cut back to Jankum in like 10 years. Maybe he's like one of the all-time great engineers. But uh, at this point, there's a little bit of the making it up as he goes kind of attitude. Um, I, I do hope that this show spans like several years because i would like to see the evolution of the characters um but jankum yeah work in progress well they're canceling everything on streaming services now cam so I know. you might only get one more season 20 more episodes uh that will finally finish airing the year 2028 because it's star trek prodigy that is true but yeah from what i've heard is that uh prodigy is uh considerably more expensive than say lower decks yeah so the chances of lower decks continuing to creep into the future uh might be a little better than prodigy i'll say this uh it does show on screen like prodigy looks absolutely fantastic so they got that going for them so okay so we can agree between the two of us that jankum pog he is our lowest rank chief engineer i think that's that's fair yes uh maybe we feel differently after like season two or something like that but yeah i gotta go with uh uh jankum right now at last place okay uh so who would you put uh just above him i think i'm gonna put hollow rios from star trek picard uh, so that would be uh ian the the one with the scottish accents um that, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah okay on, on the la serena now you said uh you know a, a quality you want to see in an engineer is leadership um, not a lot of that going on in this case. Uh, I also just feel like this was such a utilitarian character on the show that, like, a lot of these engineers, I feel like I have things to say about them. About, like, you know, some of the relationships they had, some of the uh, guidance they gave on their respective shows or movies. What do I even say about Hollow Rios other than, like, he could definitely fix problems, um, but... Beyond that, uh, I don't know. Like, uh, what was his arc? His arc was being replaced by a ocarina of time at the end of season one. <laughs> exactly. You know, it was just uh, look. look I, I think it was a great performance on the uh, part of uh, Santiago Cabrera. Mm-hmm. But um, and he has a cool look. He like he kind of dressed like a Norwegian fisherman. He so, did. Uh, yeah. He had like the uh, 
the toucan and the uh, the kind of a uh, maritime sweater. Were we robbed of like a hollow Rios appearance at maybe the start of season three, Picard? Uh, we were robbed of an appearance of virtually all the main characters <laughs> from uh, season one uh, of Picard Camp. I hesitate to say robbed in a lot of cases. Uh, <laughs> I was okay being robbed in that case. I was giving them giving them my money. Uh, but Where's my Narek? Yeah. You know, you had like La Serena showing up at the very start of the season. Would it have been that much work to work in a like brief Rios cameo? Did we even see La Serena? Oh, no, sorry, we did see La Serena. Um, yeah. Because Rafi was uh, on that ship for the first three or four episodes. Yeah, her and Worf. Uh, I think Worf was on there for a bit, too. And it's like we yeah. could have had Hollow Rios. We could have had <laughs> Hollow Elnor, the uh, combat program. Right. Um, <laughs> it would have been fun to just, just for continuity of your series, work in like a very brief cameo. Do you really have to pay that much for like one day's work? Nah. Well, you know what? I they Terry Metalis is saying that they wanted to have Soji in like the finale just to have like a discussion. We're talking about the season three uh, Picard finale, series finale, and then Terry Metalis, a showrunner, wanted to have Soji appear uh, with Data, and he said it just came down to budget. We could not afford um, Isa Briones, and and I I I I bet she's not charging like a million dollars an episode, but at a certain point, it's like, do we? put the money into a couple tens of thousands of dollars into this appearance from an actor, or do we put that into visual effects? Yeah. Into that return of the Jedi finale. Yes. Yes. Uh, now it was budget. The reason the Harry Kim cameo was cut, or was that just storytelling? I think it was, they had just been going back and forth and trying to figure out what made the most sense. And ultimately I, I'm sure budget came into play as one of the considerations as well. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, fair enough. I mean, yeah, I mean, we could have had more to speak of when it came to the uh, arc of Hollow Rios, but season three Picard let us down. Yeah. Um, Kim, okay, so right above uh, Hollow Rios, um, I have Hammer, who was mm -hmm. chief engineer for the uh, first season of Strange New Worlds. I'm, I'm looking forward to what Carol Kane will bring to the show when she takes over Hammer's job as chief engineer in season two. Um, Hammer was like, like, introduces a very unique character like one we haven't quite seen kind of i got a lot of spock vibes and not yeah. as if he was kind of aping uh, nimoy or ethan peck for that matter but um kind of a cool character um a little more aloof and did not appear as much throughout the first season as say other main characters um but i think part of that is i, I believe like he wasn't originally intended to be a main character more just a recurring uh character and uh the uh, I guess the producers liked him enough. They bumped him up to the main cast by the time they uh, went into post production on all that. And then um, his okay, the the whole episode in which like they're in the medieval times and he's like prancing around. I'm like, this is a completely different <laughs> like character. And it wasn't like he was under some sort of influence. It was just like he's like, yeah, I'm having fun here. And I was like, okay, um, sure. And then. It just seemed very clear that, that his death was, it seemed kind of arbitrary, and yeah. it, it was more in service of the arc of the other characters versus in service of his own arc. Yeah, so much of his story is tied to Uhura and serving as a mentor to her, and like I think that's, in terms of new characters, it's sometimes hard to rank 
whatever, a Hammer or a Hollow Rios against Scotty. Just given the uh, <laughs> amount of material we have of Scotty versus these newer characters. And so you kind of have to like break down to what is there. And with Hammer, so much of it is about informing the um, Uhura arc. And beyond that, I I'm kind of left with very little. So I loved this character. I actually was really bummed that he, he was killed because he was not killed yeah. in a way where I said... Now, that is a satisfying ending to that character. And we've had characters, you know, die earlier in their series runs and have it really work. But not Tasha Yar. But uh, this one just, <laughs> um, it fell flat with me because it also landed in an episode that was incredibly derivative of just basically aliens and Predator. So it didn't even feel like kind of this unique story they were telling about the death of Hammer. He kind of died in like a, a B-movie, which... Uh... You, you say derivative, I say homage, and I can't tell you how many homages Star Trek has done. Like, I, I, I don't ha have a problem with them doing something like that in yeah, this episode. That's fair. Um, but I, I do think that character, in terms of his minimal screen time, he had an impact. And so that does mm -hmm. speak, I think, highly to him. Um, I did want to just mention, though, um, I was at the Calgary Fan Expo uh, this past week, uh, weekend, I should say. And um, I attended a sort of Trek fan panel, and it was people that have kind of a, a Star Trek fan group there called the USS Chinook. And I asked them about their thoughts on New Trek versus, you know, the old. Like, they wanted to hear their thoughts on kind of the Paramount Plus era of Star Trek programming. And there was a lot of, like, disagreements on the panel. But the one thing they could really agree on, Tyler, was they absolutely, across the board, loved Strange New Worlds. And they loved that episode you mentioned. <laughs> uh, the Elysian it, Kingdom. It yeah. had a rapturous response from that panel. People um, at Vancouver Fan Expo uh, complimented that episode during the Anson Mount Ethan Peck panel. Mm -hmm. And I was like, really? Like, I don't that That episode just made me cringe. Does it just, like, work really well for... You know, say like even like the casual Star Trek fans who are tuning in and they get to watch their favorite actors be really goofy for an hour. Well, if they're casual fans, are they are these actually like favorite actors then? Or do they, yeah. they barely even know them? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I the appeal, <laughs> the appeal is lost on me because I think the message of the episode is really, really like crappy as well. Or like, hey, I'm going to let my eight year old daughter make a decision to live in a nebula the rest of her life. And then they were trying to write, write around it in that they had like the adult daughter come back and said, no, it really was my decision. Don't worry, dad. Mm. And that's how you knew they kind of, they knew it was a bad idea. It's yeah. just like the, the episode like irked me beyond just like um, the, the dumb dress up scenes. Yeah. Well, it, it is crazy to me that it has such a runaway popularity, it seems, but uh, I hope, this sort of uh, very vocal adoration for it doesn't result in a sequel in season two or three. I'm good. Well, the, the only thing I'll say is this, though. And, and there there was, you know, a lot of universal praise at that particular panel you're at. Mm. And again, um, I just say this is only what IMDb users think. But mm -hmm. Elysian Kingdom was the lowest rated episode of season one on IMDb. Not a surprise, yeah, in terms of IMDb voting. Yeah. Whereas um, the Hammer's Death episode, All Those Who Wander, that was, I believe, the third highest rated. Ooh, of, uh, interesting. Yeah, so there you go. 
Okay. People love their derivative alien ripoffs, Cam. <laughs> they do. They do. Uh, okay. So next up, I'm putting Jet Reno here. And this one kind of bums me out because I actually think Tignataro's performance on this show, this character could be an upper tier character in a Star Trek show. And the problem is with Jet Reno is that she's barely on the show uh, at all. It's like two, maybe three episodes a season. And often in terms of like kind of running the operations of the ship, those duties get handed to say like, um, you know, book or Stamets because of the spore drive. And like, what did Jet Reno do in season four other than get kidnapped? She ate licorice. She ate licorice, Cam. She ate licorice and got kidnapped. Well, she discovered Tarka underneath the desk. So that's like an MVP award right there. But like in Jet in Jet Reno's case, it's not about the personality of the character, what she contributes to the ship. It's just like there's so little of her to work with. It's frustrating. So I'll say this though: uh, she, I, I'm check. I, I was already on IMDb. Uh, she's been on an average of five episodes each season. Okay, that's and, actually better than I thought. Know, yeah, and I think part of it is like she was in a lot more of seasons two and three. Just the issue is uh, because of COVID, mm-hmm. uh, she had more limited screen time in season four. So um, I find her as a character um, fascinating. Mm-hmm. And uh, I it's a character that I'm like, I want to see more of this engineer. And it's a character who like, hey, I'm an engineer, but let me try to uh, hook up like different medical devices to keep this incredibly injured crew alive on this medical uh, transport ship. And there's like this certain ingenuity that I see within her kind of uh, thinking outside the box. I- I'm going to push back on you. This might be a bit of a divergence because the thing is like, um, I think Billups seems like a, like a swell fella. Yeah. But it's like, if I've got a choice between Billups and Jet Reno, I, I want way more Jet Reno than I do uh, Billups from Star Trek Lower Decks. Interesting. You see, Billups for me got points for just like the relationship with Rutherford and just how strong a leader he is with him. Uh, I was really looking at that, whereas like a lot of what I see with Jet Reno is, you know, her butting heads with Stamets. Like a lot of the material she has is opposite Stamets or say Tilly, where it's kind of like the three of them often working together or as I said, butting heads, but it feels a little more of like a, a Geordi with like Wesley and um, and Barkley kind of thing, problem solving. Whereas with Billups, I see a very clear like leadership kind of mode going on. But again, problem solving was one of the funnest things uh, I, I saw when I, I'd see Geordi, for example, working with uh, Data and Barkley. And, you know, if they kind of have like kind of a parallel version of that going on in Discovery, I, I think that adds to the character rather than takes away. <sighs> I agree, like, in terms of, like, the problem solving, it's just, like, I just feel with Jet, you don't get as many dimensions as I'd like to, kind of, her role on the ship. Like, why why couldn't they just, like, pair her off with, like, Adira for, like, a section of a season and have, like, mentoring going on? So we just get more insight into the Jet Reno character. It just feels like it's kind of this character who gets moments, but I never have a real sense of their, kind of, their presence within the ship. So it, she often feels kind of isolated. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that doesn't take away like her efficacy. And I and the thing is like I I I can't disagree with the points you're making, but I'm thinking about it in contracts in contrast with Billups, mm. who I'm just like, yeah, he seems nice. You know? <laughs> it's, it, it, like like I I find Jet Reno a far more compelling engineer than I do Billups. 
I would definitely agree with you in terms of like a character that Jet Reno is infinitely more compelling. Like Jet Reno is a character I think could lead a show or be like a, a primary character on a Star Trek show. Whereas I don't know that like Billups, like that's something I'm dying to see. Um, I guess to me, like the gulf between the two in terms of my rankings was not not particularly big. So it really came down to just, I really like sided with like the Rutherford kind of mentorship stuff a little more so. But I do think like, um, it, let's just say from in my rankings, they were next to like right next to each other. If you and I cannot come to a consensus, uh, I think we have to leave it to the computer to mm. decide. Oh, I like that. And you know, um, you have much better luck with the computer <laughs> than I do. So uh, I, I'm sure you trust me to uh, be honest, but uh, uh, about the uh, what the computer says when we ask the computer uh, to roll the dice. But uh, Cam, uh, odds are even, sir. Um. Okay, I will take odds because there's three letters in jet. Okay. Uh, you're wrong. There's aren't there four? Oh, you're Isn't right. J -E -T -T? <laughs> there are. There <laughs> are. Double T, double T. I'll still stick with odds. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, here we go. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, it's the number one. So, um, okay. Your your dominance with the computer. The computer really <laughs> likes you, Cam. Uh, so we'll go with uh, uh, Reno. And then uh, I guess we had kind of the. Do we want to expand on Billups as well? Because I I gotta just put him right above uh, Reno in this case. Okay, so like, what was your argument for your placement of Billups? I mean, I, I I like the um episode in which we found out he was like a prince who had to lose his virginity. I mean, that was mm -hmm. funny. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think about like, like like what he's done to like prove to me like he is one of the great engineers of Star Trek, and I'm kind of like he seems really confident or sorry, really competent. Yeah, and not but confident. Is he, like <laughs> not confident. <laughs> Is he some sort of genius? Like maybe some of the other engineers further up the list are. Um, well, I mean, he's a good mentor. Like I don't know. Like I, I, I can't picture putting Billups like above kind of the remaining engineers that we've got. Here's a question: Would he be a genius if he's on the Cerritos? Like I feel like if he was, he would not be with that <laughs> current assignment. So sorry, Jet. <laughs> <laughs> you're 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 dumber than Billups, according to Cam. <laughs> you well, here's the thing: when it comes to the Cerritos, there's an engine problem. I know who solved it. If it if it gets fixed, I know who solved it. On Star Trek Discovery, I have no idea who solved the problem because <laughs> there's multiple people bouncing all over the place who have control over you know spore drive and all that sort of stuff. Well, just remember, like season one, like. Wasn't the assumption like like is Stamets the chief engineer? And because there was even like this um, computer screen that came up uh, during one episode, in which they essentially brought up his like crew member profile, and it labeled him chief engineer. But then the producers said after like, oh, that was a mistake, and they never explicitly said that. Hi, I'm Jet Reno. I'm the chief engineer of the Discovery, but she is the highest ranking engineer we've ever encountered on star trek discovery so just by default she seems to be the the chief engineer right 
Yeah, I think it's a little bit of the Culber, like, what is his position within the medical <laughs> segment of uh, Star Trek Discovery? They kind of fudged around that. And they did the same thing with um, with Stamets. I remember, too, like, Memory Alpha was listing him as the chief engineer during a chunk of season one and then pulled it down um, because, I guess, yeah, like, it was just so muddy. And Jet Reno, I look at her personally as the chief engineer purely because I have no evidence to contradict that. Yeah, I think it's more implicit than explicit that she is chief engineer. Yeah, I think so too. And it is weird, like they made this decision to not emphasize these like, you know, higher ranking members of the staff. But by doing that, it just made it confusing in terms of the hierarchy. So I've never understood that, why they made that decision with Discovery. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, Cam, who is right above Billups for you? Okay, so this is where I'm going to put uh, Scotty from the new movies, the Simon Pegg version of Scotty. This one is tough because I think in terms of the character, he's a lot of fun in the films, but he's more comic relief a lot of the time. Um, But what you see is that there is that sort of leadership quality when we see him with Jayla in Beyond as well as Keenster. the one thing they do, though, constantly is they have him, like, achieve scientific miracles. <laughs> like, yes. miracles. When he managed to, like, beam Kirk uh, up when he was, like, plummeting, for example. It's like he rewrote the rules, like... And wasn't there, like, a, a warp-to-warp, like, transport or something like that? Something along those lines, yeah. And he's done yeah. that multiple times throughout these films where it's like... That can't be done. Scotty, can you do it? Oh, okay. Well, Scotty just did it. Scotty's clearly a genius. And it's it's almost like a cheat. <laughs> They're like really emphasizing that this is like the greatest engineer in the history of Star Trek because of what he can do. But it's hard to argue with the results we're seeing. Um, but I do think like he is a, as a character. It, it's tough to put him up against some of the uh, the ones higher up the list. Yeah, I, I'm just looking at who we have ahead of us. I'm just like, yeah, I, I, I'm totally good with Kelvin versus Scotty going here. Um, as far as like just favorite moments, I, I did like him and having that conflict with Kirk and Into Darkness where, you know, they're trying to load up all those torpedoes and he's like, I don't know what's in them. Like, I'm not going to let them on the ship. And yeah. Kirk's like, well, okay, uh, it's your choice. Do you want to be chief engineer or not? <laughs> Flash cut to uh, one uh, Pavel Chekhov <laughs> being chief engineer. Um as a as a young ensign but um you know <laughs> and just like i i do like kind of the nuances that you know with only say six hours of uh kelvin verse that exists out there um they gave scotty quite a bit to do yeah and they kind of played up more of like a mad genius aspect to that character like he has yeah. this kind of like odd look in his eye he gets like he's playing him a little more like manic than traditional scotty i think people have this sort of like um pop culture fueled impression of scotty is this this is like character that's just you know screaming i'm giving her all she's got and all that sort of stuff but like when you watch scotty on the original series he's often like a very calming presence and is just managing to be very very professional and capable and save the day with a very level head and you talk about wolf in the fold right especially wolf in the fold um whereas you look at like this scotty and that's not the way i really see him um, especially when uh, they, they flushed Keenster into the Budweiser Brewery, <laughs> aka uh, Main Engineering, and uh, he's got to go fetch him out of the tubes. Exactly. No, that was that, was that Scotty as well, or is it just Keenster? Uh, in the tubes, that was yeah. Scotty. And they beamed aboard the ship. Was 
Yeah, Scotty was in the tube. Yeah. I don't think okay. Keenster okay. was. Okay. Uh, well, Cam, uh, next up for me, a uh, wonderful character who <laughs> I'm afraid we just did not get enough time with one, Bellana Torres. Mm. It what like she just felt more isolated down in engineering by herself than I think any of the other uh, chief engineers uh, we have uh, left on this list to go through. And it was unfortunate. Like she, like she was a scrappy engineer, like um, kind of like she could like Jerry rig almost anything, but it was just too often. Like she's kind of stuck with kind of like the, the boring exposition and she didn't have enough like episodes dedicated to showcasing how she could like solve these like, <laughs> extravagant problems that only Kelvin versus uh, Scotty could do. You know, like, I, I think like an episode like Prototype in which uh, she's talking to that uh, android yeah. um, trying to fix him up. I mean, that's kind of a good showcase. Uh, there's the episode, I'm blanking on the name. I, I think it might be just called something like Warhead, but it's essentially she's trying to reprogram that Cardassian torpedo that she had uh, actually encountered in the Badlands, and it got sucked up by the caretaker as well. And I don't like, like there, there's good stuff that they did with her, but we just never saw her enough. She, like, she, they could have made some sort of excuse to have her on the main bridge, like they kind of did with Jordy at times too. Yeah, it always felt weird. It was almost like the uh, season four Zoom season of Star Trek Discovery, where it's like, "What's Balan sure. up to?" Cut to Balana like in the engineering room, being like, "Things are all good, Captain," on her com badge. Um. Bolana, yeah, like I think the like they were very good about bo- giving Bolana episodes that really displayed how good she was. I love like how she had like the tools kind of hanging off her like kind of jacket there. I thought that was like a cool look for an engineer. Um, in all fairness, um, is because uh, Roxanne Dawson, the actress, is pregnant at the time. Hey, it uh. doesn't matter. Like ingenuity, right? Like they actually covered it, it up cool. in a way that was really effective and cool and kind of iconic. Um, they also wrote like a, at least I think a couple stories where she was like clashing with her like coworkers, <laughs> where it's like, oh, oh, they didn't do that for a lot of the other engineers. I don't know if that's a great yeah, that's look. True. Um, I remember uh, the first season she just kept calling uh, Harry Kim Starfleet all the time. Yeah, and I I seem to recall an episode where she was clashing with Seven of Nine. Um, <laughs> I think there was another one where it was like more of a you know guest star of the week kind of thing or just you know r- random nineties guy actor that she was clashing with in an episode as well yeah that's not not great um huh did they really like exhibit a lot of cases of her as like sort of like a positive mentor or leader figure i'm digging through my memory banks yeah i don't want to say it never happened yeah but it's just it's been a little while since i did a full voyager rewatch um you know, I'm sure uh, <laughs> I can't. I can't think of anything. No, I know that's a, a bummer. Um, but in terms of like when it called for like a problem to be solved, you could rely on Balana. Like she would always get the job done. So I appreciated that. Just that, yeah. When it came to like kind of giving us a three dimensional sort of uh, exhibit of like Star Trek professionalism, I feel like the portrayal was a little lacking hmm too bad nice sir uh, who's up next for you uh next up uh i have trip tucker from enterprise um this was actually a really interesting one and kind of a hard one to rank in some ways just given that like he is like i guess archer kind of writing the book on his job 
and the engineering abilities are obviously far you know lower tech than what say like um you know Jordy's dealing with on next generation or what jet reno's dealing with on discovery but like it has a really strong sense of that kind of like sweat and polish trying to make this engine work in the worst of circumstances and you always got the sense that like trip while i would not say he was a character who always had a cool head they didn't have a lot of examples of him not being able to pull off a miracle yeah um I'm a little bummed out you have him this low, and I, I might push back mm. against you as well. Like, uh, he was a pioneer, you know? Yeah. There there was no, like, mentor for him to look up to and think, you know, like, hey, I, I aspire to be, you know, this chief engineer like a hundred years ago you know, on that voyage or anything like that. Um, he had a lot to figure out that there just was no guide manual that existed before. Um, the other thing I'll say... Out of all the engineers that we've got and that we've spoken about, he was he had the most compelling arc. You know, like he could be kind of a jerk a lot of times and he could have a lot of pathos a lot of times. And just to see how much you end up caring about him and like his dynamic with T'Pol by the mm. end of it, you know, like this is a character, like I just found him to be like uh, perhaps like the most nuanced and um, just like um, deep engineer characters that we've got here i'm liking your argument um who did you have like in this spot uh cam there's no way you're you're, you're going to um accede to, to to what i've got here because i, I would have had scotty myself okay and, and how come um scotty seems cool yeah he seems totally competent um it's just I, i'll put it to you this way when you had a Jordy v. Scotty in Relics. <laughs> um, look, Jordy was a total tool. He was yeah. a complete jerk. But in my head, I was just like, yeah, you know what? Um, even if Jordy was from Scotty's time, I think Jordy would be like a way better engineer than Scotty was as well. Mm. Um, leader? I, I don't know about that. But what's happened, though? <laughs> and I'll give props to um, uh, Star Trek Picard Season 3. In like the four or five episodes that LeVar Burton was on, I was like, I think he's kind of coming to his own as a leader. Like, I think he could totally yeah. outschool somebody like Scotty. And and for me, I was thinking about like, well, who are the remaining like main characters we've got left? Like, Scotty did not have some sort of compelling arc. Like, he had a lot of real cool moments where he showed leadership on the bridge and he showed like a lot of like cunning and just hard work in main engineering you know but beyond that and beyond him being like an iconic character what what is it that makes him you know one of the greatest engineers of all time in star trek i mean he did invent transparent aluminum <laughs> i you know what yeah or did he <laughs> yeah exactly um i guess like i think of with scotty there are so many like miracle cures he pulls out and it's just like that tireless so he says yeah so he says yeah tireless ability and just, like, energy when it comes to committing himself to his job. But also, like, I think of Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan, where you have, like, all these new recruits. And just, like, how he's this, like, very, like, fatherly or uncle-like character kind of looking over all of them. I mean, this man, Tyler, he will walk onto the bridge carrying your corpse if something happens to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Hey, <laughs> Captain, look at me found. I don't want to take my nephew down to uh, sick bay, but uh, I wanted to show him you first. 
I just feel like, and this is probably true for any of the Star Trek engineers, they would all go down with the ship, but I feel like Scotty would be the one most likely to go down with the ship, like the one who would really commit himself to that if it came to it. Who would be least likely? Ooh, oh, that's a good one. Um, Jenkum Pog, right? Like he yeah, would be like, I'd have to say he's so. too smart. Like you know, he would be like, wait a second, or not smart, but he, like he has kind of like that kind of crafty side where he'd just be like, you know what, uh, live to fight another day. Yeah, yeah, you know, like uh, I love you guys. This is a cool ship we found. Um, it's been a nice six months as a Starfleet cadet, but uh, I think I'm gonna call it. Yeah, I don't know about Billups. I I think he might flee as well. <laughs> well, he did flee his home planet, so he, he has a history of that. If it's know, a sexy so. problem, he'll flee it. <laughs> so Kim, what what if I um posited this to you? So so mm. we can come to some si- sort of consensus. What if we did trip where you have them, and then mm. we have Scotty right above trip, and then ultimately what our debate is going to surround is Jordy versus O'Brien. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Yes. Okay. So we were discussing earlier. Okay. So we'll do Trip, Scotty, and the Jordy versus O'Brien debate here. Uh, we were discussing before, you know, like uh, maybe Jordy's a bit more of a, of a genius character. Like, is he the smartest of all the chief engineers? Um, I think like O'Brien could be capable of everything that Jordy is, just through sheer will and mm. just like, just like hard work. You know, like, despite, like, I don't think O'Brien is some sort of, like, genius the way that Jordy is. Um, But do you ever think that you could put them both in the same, like, situation, present the same problem, and they both would not figure it out, but maybe in different ways? No, like, that's the thing. To me, O'Brien, and I had him ranked quite high as well, and it's because just, like, how resourceful he is under the very worst circumstances. We haven't really seen any of the other engineers put in as dire a circumstances as O'Brien as many times. You might get a very, you know, um, sort of dark Geordie story. Like, he has to solve a problem in a very unfortunate circumstance. But it's like maybe one episode. Whereas, like, O'Brien, it feels like that's his arc. (laughs) is to, like, wind up in just the worst of the worst and have to basically find his way out, often combating, like, Cardassian technology that doesn't work properly, it does feel like kind of like the field assignment from hell. Whereas when I look at Jordy, I think Jordy is, I think if you're to like rank the IQs or whatever of the engineers, Jordy's probably at the very top, but he's on like the flagship. He's on the majestic enterprise. Like he has the best of the best to work with. Whereas like, Look at what O'Brien's working with half the time, right? Like, even when it comes to, like, say, like, Bajoran engineers he's working with, like, there's kind of, like, a culture clash going on. O'Brien really has to navigate a lot of things, whereas Jordy kind of surrounds himself with, say, like, Barkley and Wesley, like, kind of like-minded people. Well, remember the episode Empachnor from Deep Space Nine? And O'Brien is essentially fighting for his life against super soldiers and then eventually Garrick? And um, how do you think Jordy would have fared um, trying to use engineering cunning to get out of that situation? (laughs) Well, the thing is, like, O'Brien, being like a veteran of the war, like kind of brings like a soldier's mentality to his job where it's so much about just like scraping by to survive. And I don't know that like Jordy is... 
I don't know that he's as capable in incredibly uncomfortable circumstances. So if it's like Tarok Nor, where he's being pursued by like a homicidal Garrick. Empok Nor. Or sorry, Empok Nor. Um, I would love to watch that episode. Like, I don't even care about uh, Star Trek Legacy. Just give me Jordy in like circumstances <laughs> like this. And LeVar Burton was on fire in season three, Picard. I want to see him going up against like, <laughs> you know, deranged Garrick in an episode of New Star Trek. But I- I'm just having like a really hard time seeing his character being like kind of calm and cool headed in the same way to pull off these sorts of things. Like, Jordy was known to really, like, bristle and have quite a temper. Uh, and often, like, kind of get, like, flustered and kind of bark at people before he would calm down and solve the problem. So, I think... Did he do a, any sort of, like, engineering in The Enemy? Because that's a, like, really, like, um, tough circumstances for his character. Um, was there something... Like, he didn't have his... All right, he... What was going on with his visor? in that episode like there because i seem to recall like we saw his pov via the visor but wasn't the visor malfunctioning or something too i think it was and it was either damaged in the situation that caused him to be stuck on that planet or it was something to do with like uh i don't know lightning storms on the planet or something like that interfering with it but yeah he had to rely on the romulan um for assistance well can i posit this though who do you think's faced more impossible engineering conundrums Jordy or O'Brien I would say Jordy because he is dealing with the like I said he was like the best of the best which is tied more in terms of like putting him in like a impact nor situation but when it comes to the technology and the achievements under his belt like I think Jordy's are I mean galaxy changing like, Jordy is someone who's going to have a statue. Although, I guess O'Brien has a statue as well, yes. thanks to Lower Decks. <laughs> That's true. But I feel like Jordy <laughs> is someone that people would be reading the textbook of LaForge for, like, generations to come in terms of understanding technology. I don't know that O'Brien's writing that book. One of the things I was thinking about as is debating this in my head, though, is is we've seen Jordy in main engineering countless times solving problems uh, being super realistic about what the problems are ahead, what needs to be done, and coming up with uh, ingenious ways of solving those problems. And I was thinking, well, like we typically see O'Brien in a Jeffrey's tube cleaning voles out mm-hmm. of um, the ducts or uh, finding self-stealing, uh, self-sealing stem bolts, you know, that sort of stuff. But then I, I, I it kind of took me a while. Like, I, I don't think we saw main engineering of uh, the Defiant until the end of season four. You know, so it took about like two seasons to get there. And then I was like, you know what? Like O'Brien's kind of faced those main, main engineering issues in the past as well. And so I, 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 would, I would say that like Jordy kind of like outdoes him in, in terms of like main engineering miracles. But mm-hmm. I'm just like, I keep getting sucked in to just the sheer will capability of O'Brien and how he's gotten himself out of so many, um, say, deadlier um conflicts you know through his um ingenuity kind of almost like uh Jordy's the academic and o'brien's is street smarts if that's kind of a good uh book smarts versus street smarts right yeah who do you think is the better mentor <laughs> uh that, that's a very good question that's a very good like okay so Jordy mentored um sonia gomez mm-hmm. um robin leffler uh wesley um 
Barkley. Reg? Reg? Yeah, somewhat. Uh, often with his personal life, but yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so O'Brien mentored Neela, who appeared in two episodes in season one of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And, um, like, it's not like he... Like, did he mentor... Did we see him mentoring Nog? Uh, I, well, I just feel like the relationship was more with like Nog and Cisco. I guess there was some stuff yeah. with Rom and O'Brien, wasn't there? I mean, I, I think um, O'Brien was like, "Oh, Rom, why are you so fast?" He's like, "Uh, I don't talk to people." He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "Oh, okay, you know." But I'm trying to think, like, like what else? Like, like. I, like, I'm kind of blanking as to who, like, O'Brien would have mentored. He had, like, moments where you would see him with, like, you know, a Nog or whatever. But or, I feel like he had some scenes with Jake Sisko. I don't think that was teaching engineering, though. But, um... I can't, I'm saying, I'm having a, a live debate with myself right now. Because I just, I keep going back and forth between who is the best engineer among all the main characters here. And, I it, like, to me, I don't feel like... It's a coin flip. I feel like there's like a way that we can come to a consensus. But w- what are you leaning towards at this point? I'm leaning towards Jordy, uh, yeah. because I just think that the language of what they're communicating <laughs> through TNG is that uh, everything that's happening on the Enterprise is basically like going to change the history books going forward, or at least write the history books. O'Brien it's kind of that soldier thing. He has sort of an inglorious job. He pulls it off, but no one's really going to think about him too much other than apparently the lower decks team. Um, to me, like Jordy's the one that they're going to be acknowledging as this genius who changed the face of Star Trek or Starfleet technology. And we saw him, you know, go off and be a captain. Like we didn't get a lot of exploration in season three Picard as to just what Jordy has accomplished since, but I feel like it was probably like even more. I know. And what, okay. So I keep thinking about this, like, um, O'Brien has always been able to kind of figure it out. Yeah. So has Jordy, but like, it's just, just the accomplishments that you could put under Jordy's resume versus O'Brien's resume. Um, despite the fact I think O'Brien is uh, a far more compelling character, mm. um, somebody I'd rather hang out with, you know, shoot some darts with, uh, you know, fight in the Battle of Britain or go on to the Alamo, you know, and uh, I don't know what Jordy's up to in the holodeck. Um, <laughs> O'Brien, <laughs> I, 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 I'd have more fun with him there. O'Brien is a better arc as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and so, like, I, I just, like, I... I think ultimately, like, I, I think a lot of, like, uh, listeners are probably like, you idiots, it's it's Jordy, obviously. Yeah. Um, do, we, do we say it's Jordy then? I think it is Jordy because another thing that pops into my mind now is, like, if you ask a group of Star Trek fans, what's Jordy LaForge? They're going to say he's the engineer of the Enterprise. And then ask them O'Brien. I think you're going to hear a lot of transporter chiefs. Yeah. Not, not so much... Um, uh, a professor, an instructor at um, Starfleet Academy. You might hear that, but like I feel yeah. like from like a hardcore Deep Space Nine fan. Yeah, like I feel like O'Brien isn't as defined as an engineer as Jordy. Like Jordy lives and breathes being an engineer, 
Whereas O'Brien feels like he can fulfill many jobs because he he's just that versatile. I have to say, kind of a bummer that we didn't get like an O'Brien appearance in Picard season three. It felt like that was, I mean, who knows what the future holds, but it felt like probably the last great chance at getting him on one of these shows. Um, I, I just have a hard time imagining them now like building a movie around like an O'Brien appearance or like, is he popping up on like a Star Trek legacy show? Like why? No, why no, would I, he be I, there? I've got the perfect pitch. It's like an ode to relics, but um, he beams into the Discovery uh, uh, ship like um, mm. uh, a thousand years in the future on his way <laughs> to retirement. And uh, it's all about him and Jet Reno teaming up. And while she's like, uh, and it's very confusing because she's technically uh, 100 years older than him. Yeah. But he's from a thousand years in the past versus uh versus her so they're, they're the clash of um engineering skills all over the place i feel like you have to uh like come up with a, a circumstance like that to explain him because it's like if you're on a new star trek show like why are you going to see o'brien it's like he's i know an instructor at starfleet academy uh, okay i guess if you were doing well i mean if we do the starfleet academy show maybe o'brien does pop up maybe that's the best avenue for him he's the boxing coach no no i got it he gives advice about romance to one of the students hell yeah hell yeah <laughs> with like the uh, soap opera you know teen romance stuff going on there um oh, cam cam i got i gotta jump in though did you see that like tweet that went viral from um somebody wrote into like uh like a slate relationship um no uh column and um like long story short this woman <laughs> wrote into slate uh you know the, the website and she was just like i've got a problem you know like uh my boyfriend has been deployed so while he's been deployed overseas uh i took on like a, a work as a surrogate and the very nice couple um keiko and miles <gasps> they took me into their house and i've been living with them but then there's this sexual tension between me and miles and i don't know <laughs> what to do keiko is super friendly and it just never clued into the uh, whoever ran this um thing on <laughs> slate which is a pretty big like um like outlet um yeah uh, online um they just ran with it and gave advice right back like cam i will i will send the link to you it is absolutely hilarious just like um as you read it and go forward but yeah Okay, that's incredible, and I will put a link in the show notes to this episode as well. Uh, that's magic. <laughs> that is the that is the greatest thing to happen to Star Trek since God knows when. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not 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 Star Trek Picard finale cam. Um, no. th this uh, slate uh, love column. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but yeah, like, do you see like O'Brien? Like, what would be the need for O'Brien in like a Star Trek legacy? I, I I know it's um maybe he takes over the Starfleet Museum from Jordy, like that's, maybe yeah that's my best guess. Like Jordy makes Admiral, and so he's. But the thing is, like I always like O'Brien as the non-commissioned officer, you know, mm -hmm. and like I I I, I could never picture him as a commodore in charge of anything, like you know, and that's why I think he's best being an instructor. He's at Earth with Keiko. They're, they're, I think, a far more functional couple uh, back on their home planet, you know? Yeah, I think that makes sense. 
I don't know what the I don't know what the argument would be for him to pop up in another Star Trek series. And he would also have if this if it happened on Star Trek Legacy. He has no connection whatsoever to Rafi Seven and um, Jack Crusher. So it would be more satisfying if he'd appeared on Picard because he has a connection to that TNG crew. Uh, oh well, I mean, be hilarious if uh, he was uh, he was Rafi's intelligence handler. <laughs> Well, he did like um, infiltrate the criminal underworld on DS Nine. That's true. So, like, maybe she would turn to him for advice in uh, or whatever. That's assistance true. in yeah. uh, some sort of like uh, <laughs> criminal plot. <laughs> okay, this writes okay. itself. Uh, why don't we go through? <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, better than some of the scripts we saw in uh, seasons one and two of Picard. That's for mm, sure. No kidding. Um, why don't we go through the list here, uh, mm-hmm. from first to worst, and uh, we, we used. Worst only relatively, but um, number one, Jordy LaForge. Number two, Miles O'Brien. Number three, Scotty. Uh, number four, Trip Tucker. Number five, Belana Torres. Number six, Calvin Verse, Montgomery Scott. Number seven, uh, we've got uh, Commander Billups. What is Billups' uh, first name? I'm blanking, sir. I feel like a jerk for, for a uh, Star Trek podcast. It is Andy. Andy, yeah, that's right. You said it before. Uh, number eight, we've got Jet Reno. Number nine, Hammer. Number 10, um, Ian, <laughs> a.k.a. Holographic Rios. <laughs> number 11, Jenkum Pog. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good list, for sure. I, I, I'm happy. I, I, I wish, uh, you know, you and I kind of disagreed at points, but I, I I can look at this list and be satisfied with what we've kind of landed on. I, I, and I also, I think that a lot of fans out there if you pulled star trek fans in general we like to kind of spice things up but i i think a lot of folks would go with jordy as the number one engineer of all time too i think jordy is going to land at number one for most i think balana might get a little bit of a higher position with some people i also think there would be a certain segment that would put scotty at number one i think the fact that we have o'brien at number two is probably more of our irreverent takes on Star Trek. I don't see O'Brien clocking in at number two for most folks. No, no. And I think, like, especially when you look at, say, the bottom three, the Hammer, Hollow Rios, and Jankum, uh, I, I think most would probably put those in a similar position. Not Ian. <laughs> I am so glad you remembered that his name was Ian. <laughs> In all fairness, I, I had to look it up before you started reading. Oh, okay, okay, that's fair. That's Can fair. you remember any of the other holographic names uh, aboard Rios's ship? Um, oh, oh, uh, was it Eunuch or something like that? Enoch? Eunuch? <laughs> yeah, not Eunuch. Enoch? <laughs> what? <laughs> was it Enoch? Wow. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think one was it called certainly Enoch. isn't Eunuch. <laughs> no, it's not Eunuch. As soon as I said that, I was like, that ain't right. <laughs> that is certainly not right. <laughs> Okay, okay. Let let me uh let you vamp. I'm gonna look up uh memory alpha. Um, Why don't I just tell a, a brief anecdote holograms. about um seeing Jonathan Frakes at uh, Star Trek um yeah. his appearance at uh, the Fan Expo in Calgary, which um was a classic Jonathan Frakes panel where the MC is announcing him. Jonathan Frakes just walks out mid introduction, like just deflating the entire introduction, and it was classic freaks chaos where the panel was quickly crashed by uh, todd stashwick who had been there since the first day of the convention and actually appeared in the parade 
uh, riding by in a convertible because the Calgary Fan Expo, they hold a parade where all the celebs who are at that point in attendance will be in convertibles and they'll have fans in cosplay going down the main strip of their downtown. But Todd Stashwick crashed the panel and just proceeded to like circle Jonathan Frakes and the two of them basically just yelled at each other somewhat in character about why the other one sucked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they just barked at each other for an extended period. It was hilarious. And then like, it just kind of like devolved into chaos. I remember Jonathan Frakes, there was a roped off area where Jonathan Frakes wanders into it. There's no lights on or under it or on top of it at all. It's completely dark. And he's just like muttering, going like, keep out of bounds. What, what happens if I don't? And wanders into this dark area and is like jumping around and whatever. <laughs> comes, <laughs> okay. comes wandering back. He's like, I don't want to be the guy that falls off the stage. And then the furniture had gotten moved around and then he was like kicking the chair around the stage. <laughs> it was like <laughs> unbelievable. Like the audience was in stitches and the questions were uh, just, I mean, hilarious answers to all of them. And just the way that him and uh, Todd Stashwick played off each other. It was a real, like so much chemistry there. And I think that it's the sort of chemistry I would like to see replicated at perhaps Star Trek Las Vegas this summer. That would be pretty cool. My fingers crossed. I, I I did not ask you off mic. I might as well do this now. But um, what, what was the Calgary Fan Expo plagued by uh, all those commercials that you had to watch before every single panel? Um, in, in our situation at Vancouver Fan Expo, we had to watch uh, a trailer for the Adam Driver starring sci-fi bomb sixty-five. Um, Cam, did we see it what uh, twenty times uh, over the course of the three-day weekend? I mean, you would see it like probably twice within the span of two minutes. Like they would play it yeah. like on a loop. Um, yes, it did have trailers, but there was far more of them. And the way they were played was more like kind of between panels. It wasn't like they started playing and that meant the panel was going to start. It, they were more like there is ambience and then they would be like, okay, folks, let's bring out so-and-so. It didn't feel like everything stopped dead for trailers. And I remember you and I talked as well. I don't remember if it was on air or what, but that there was a lot of audio issues at the Vancouver Fan Expo with audio bleed through coming from the two stages facing each other yeah. where it was like one mic was bouncing and you like the Star Trek stars, for example, you know, Gates McFadden, Brent Spiner and whatever were like getting annoyed. Anthony Daniels from Star Wars who played C-3PO. He was like commenting on it. It happened once in Calgary with Vincent D'Onofrio and he commented on it and it never happened again the entire week. Okay. Wow. Uh, it was like the organizers took it seriously. <laughs> I, I remember on the podcast, the question I posed to you is like, um, does Vancouver Fan Expo deserve our money? And I think you and I decided like next year, we'll just go one day rather than all three days. Like just, it's not worth it. No, like the Calgary one felt like an event. Like the city came out for Fan Expo. It was way bigger, way bigger. Um, Like probably three times the size of the Vancouver event and just far more to do uh, higher caliber talent. Um, it really offered a lot more than the, the Vancouver one feels like kind of like, um, Hey, you bored Saturday? Eh, come visit. Uh, sure. the, yeah, yeah. And we were bored Saturday. Yeah. The US. <laughs> whereas the Calgary's like, stop everything. The fan expos in town. Okay. Did you pick up uh, any cool merch that the listeners might be uh, interested in hearing about? Uh, your merch perch? I was traveling very light, 
uh, as in not even paying for carry-on. I just had like <laughs> a laptop bag. So I could not bring back, you know, a life-size, uh, you know, Jonathan Frakes stand-up or anything like that. But um, I did buy, um, I'm trying to think, I did do some photo ops. I did a photo op with Sam Raimi, who was in attendance. That was a, uh, boy, that was almost like a life goal achieved. I also did a photo op with our friend Kim, with uh, Danny Treo. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, there was a woman selling belts, or belt buckles, I should say. And she had done one using the 1989 Batman cards, trading oh. cards that I used to collect. And it was like, in, okay. it was sealed into the belt buckle and it was like a Joker right. one. So I ended up buying that. Other than that, just a couple comics and uh, I think a, a t-shirt. Uh, will you be wearing the belt buckle when I see you uh, to watch uh, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, this week? I will try to remember. <laughs> that is my promise. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, Cam, I can confirm uh, the names of the uh, Rios holograms here. Um, <laughs> is Eunuch there? <laughs> we have the emergency medical hologram. His name is Emil. Yep. We have the the uh, emergency hospitality hologram. He was named Mr. Hospitality. I, I kid you not. Okay. Um, we had the emergency tactical hologram, who is Emmett. We, of course, had the emergency engineering hologram, who is Ian. And then we had uh, the emergency navigational hologram, who was Enoch. There we go. There we go. There we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Close. <laughs> okay. Um, Cam, uh, next week uh, we will be covering uh, the... Uh, we're going to do another one of our classic episodes. Uh, one of those kinds of episodes... We love doing these because it's kind of those episodes that might go under the radar. Like for this stuff, we never do something like, um, why don't we do a review of um best of both worlds you know we've already done the two-parters but some of these episodes um that i think should deserve a little bit more attention and this one is going to be an enterprise episode it'll be the episode home which took place uh early on this season four and uh it's a very unique episode and i recommend folks give it a watch and kind of ask yourself like throughout like this just has like a different vibe to it, a different pace to it. It feels like a fundamentally different kind of Star Trek episode. I mean, there might be some comparisons to other ones, but I think we're going to have a lot of fun diving into it. And I, I'd really recommend people give it a, give the episode a watch and tune in. This feels in some ways almost like the Hidden Jam episode of Enterprise. Yeah. It, it falls in a very high profile season, that season four. But it's one that like kind of gets overshadowed by, you know, the Andorian arc and the Augment arc and all the like uh, mirror universe stuff and e even the finale. I mean, the finale is a train wreck, but it gets a lot of attention. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you can also, of course, leave a comment for us um, over on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod or follow us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam B as in visor got damaged in the enemy Smith. You can find me at reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. N as in Nuck, comma, U. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Captain, look at me found. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>